Catechism, Lord's Day 43. Hatterberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43, which summarizes here what we believe about the ninth commandment, about not bearing false witness against our neighbor. It's been good to meditate on these commands and to think about what the Lord not only forbids in these commands, but what he requires of us as Christians. And this particular Lord's Day only has one question and answer. Hatterberg Catechism, Lord's Day 43. We'll confess together question and answer 112. So, beloved, what is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? That I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid under penalty of God's wrath every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend in advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. And just to turn to one passage that hits this, there'll be many that we reference in the sermon. We'll turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19, verses 16 through 21. Deuteronomy 19, 16 through 21. Here we read from God's holy and inspired word, these words. If a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priest and the judges who are in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do him to him as he meant to do to his brother. So shall you purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear, and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eye shall not pity, it shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Well, there's a saying that my wife likes to use around the house, uh, not because she actually believes it, but because she knows it annoys me a little bit. And it's the saying, live your truth. If one of our kids wants to eat some dirt during playtime, live your truth. They want ketchup on their macaroni and cheese, which we don't think is a very good idea. Live your truth. Right. There's many other things that merit this statement from my wife. And this is the kind of statement that we might laugh at and rightly critique in our world today, right? In our world, truth seems to be moldable and relativistic to whatever you deem as true. Uh, But the truth is, even as Christians, sometimes we can put ourselves into our own little worlds, our own little echo chambers where actual truth is hard to penetrate our thinking. Uh, Justin Gibney of the Ann Campaign uh, gave a talk last year called The Lies That Serve Us. And in the introduction, he said this, We all hate the lies that falsely accuse us or misrepresent our intentions. But what about the lies that serve our purposes? What about the false narratives that absolve us, the cultural myths that glorify us, and the mischaracterizations that obstruct our opposition? My question is, what do we do with the lies that are useful, 
the lies that artificially boost what we consider to be a good cause. Right? Isn't it true that when it comes to various issues of the day, sometimes we could find ourselves searching for and interpreting certain information that already agrees with what we think is true? Uh, this is called confirmation bias. Right? In order to preserve our truth, sometimes we close our ears to what might actually be true in order to preserve the world that we are living in and the things that we already believe are true. And this is why we also need to consider the Ninth Commandment today. The Ninth Commandment deals with this topic of truth. We're reminded in this command that God calls us to believe and to tell the whole truth, the whole truth of his word. And we're going to consider four things in this command. First, the original setting of this command. We're going to consider the origin of this command in God. We're going to consider the obedience of Christ to this command. And then we're going to consider the outcome of this command for our lives. But think again about the original setting of this command. The original setting of this command was the courtroom in the Old Testament. The Old Testament courts didn't use things like today, like forensic evidence, but they relied primarily on the witnesses of people. And so it was very important that people be faithful witnesses who told the truth. In order to promote justice and righteousness within Israel, God actually put certain protections within the law to promote truth. Deuteronomy 19, verse 15. Again, only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall charges be established. Deuteronomy 19, 18 and 19. If a false witness, uh, a false witness could be punished, we read the judges shall inquire diligently. And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he meant to do to his brother. Moreover, being a faithful witness in the Old Testament was actually a very weighty task. If someone was indeed sentenced to death, the accuser of that person was to be the one who threw the first stone, according to Deuteronomy 17. That's powerful, isn't it? Think about it. It's one thing to accuse someone of something. It's another thing to actually be the first one who begins to put them to death. But God put these protections in his law in order to promote truth and justice. And truth in the court of law is still very important today. Right? Witnesses are often asked as they put their hand on a Bible, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. And if you lie on the witness stand, even today you commit perjury and you could face fines and even go to prison for a number of years. Well, outside of the courtroom setting, this command applies to how we are to speak the truth in this world. Heidelberg Catechism 112 again says, I should love the truth, speak it candidly and openly acknowledge it. In various settings, in various spheres of life, Christians are to be people who speak the truth and love for the good of their neighbor. Especially, the scriptures say, speaking the truth to protect the vulnerable in society. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9. Open your mouth for the speechless in the cause of all who are appointed to die. Open your mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and the needy. It's right in our world today, not just in our culture or our, or our country, but throughout this world uh, to speak on behalf of image bearers who might be marginalized, who don't have a particular voice. It's right to speak against various evils that we see in our world today, our own culture or throughout this world. We're called to speak in such a way that protects 
and promotes the good of our neighbors. Sometimes as Christians, we need to think before we speak. We need to restrain our tongues and and not sin with rash words. But sometimes our silence in the face of evil can also be wrong in God's sight. Uh, The late Presbyterian minister G.I. Williamson wrote in his commentary on the Westminster Larger Catechism, if we know that a wrong has been done and do not speak up, we are guilty when our very si- we are guilty when our very silence will seem to express our consent. Again, we must speak the truth sincerely, freely, and fully. And I had a quote here from the scriptures as well on that same topic. From Leviticus chapter 5, verse 1, if anyone sins in that he hears a public adjuration to testify, and though he is a witness, whether he has seen or come to know the matter, yet does not speak, he shall bear his own iniquity. But the Heidelberg Catechism also says, I should do what I can, notice, to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. And we need this kind of reminder today because we live in a day where it's easy to destroy someone's good name. We can cherry pick someone's words. We can magnify their faults. Martin Luther said, reputation is something quickly stolen, but not quickly returned. Heidelberg Catechism here speaks of twisting no one's words. We're not to gossip or to slander, or the Catechism says to join in condemning anyone rashly without a hearing. Here, beloved, we see a number of sins that we all fall into. The first one, it highlights a slander. What is slander? Slander is making a false and damaging statement about someone. A false and damaging statement about someone. We could misrepresent what someone said or what they believe. We could twist their words to make them seem worse than they really are. We could spread slanderous rumors about them. As Christians, we are called to represent other people faithfully, even those that we disagree with. I remember that in seminary, that we would get docked in our papers, or in our statements, if we didn't represent our Baptist brothers and sisters faithfully, our Lutherans brothers and sisters faithfully. If we didn't represent their views in a way that they could say amen to, then we would actually be misrepresenting them. We would be misrepresenting the truth that they hold to. And that is what we are called to theologically, politically, socially, to fairly represent other people, even the people we disagree with, in such a way that they would say amen to how we represent them. That's our ninth commandment duty as faithful witnesses to truth. We're not to be like so many today, beloved, who twist people's words or set up straw man arguments because when we slander, when we do these things, the catechism says we're joining in the devil's works. The Puritan Thomas Watson put it this way, He that raises a slander carries the devil in his tongue, and he that receives it carries the devil in his ear. This is also connected with a sister sin, uh, the sin of gossip. What is gossip? Gossip is talking about people in such a way that damages their reputation with other people. You know, why is it that we would rather hear something bad about someone than something good? Well, because it's sinfully attractive to us, right? Gossip is juicy. Gossip sells magazines at the checkout stand of the grocery store. Proverbs 18, verse 8, the words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. 
Beloved, I think gossip is one of the respectable sins in Christian culture and in culture in general. But the word of God tells us it's not a respectable sin before God. God calls us not to gossip or to participate in people's gossip. Uh, This is our ninth commandment duty. We're not to spread rumors or half-truths or false reports. Moreover, beloved, not everything true about another person needs to be said, needs to be told. Not only should we avoid gossip, but positively, we are to be quick to promote what is good. I love this from Pastor Philip Ryken. He says, telling the truth means, and means thinking and saying the best about people. Rather than being suspicious of their motives, we should put the best construction of what they have said or done. And how God's people today could shine as beautiful lights in our culture when we're quick to promote what is good, to promote the good and the best about our brothers and sisters especially, but also of our neighbor. Why is the ninth commandment so important to God? Why is it so serious when we break it? Well, let's think as well of the origin of this command. Not only its original setting, but the true origin. We bear witness to the truth because of who God is. Our God is true. Romans 3 verse 4, Let God be true, though everyone were a liar. Like all of the commandments in Scripture, the substance of this command reflects the very character of God. You see, the Ten Commandments aren't just arbitrary commands that he just gives to people to do, but they reflect God's own nature, and our God is true. Titus 1 verse 2, God cannot lie. John 17, 17, God's word is truth. And so when we lie or slander or gossip, we're not only misrepresenting God and who he is, but we're participating again in the works of the devil. And Jesus said in John 8, he has been a liar, the devil, from the very beginning. You see this in the New Testament when that happens of people imitating the devil. You think of Ananias and Sapphira. They sinned in how they presented an offering to God, pretending it was their full offering, although they held some back and they lied. And Peter said to them, he confronted them, he says, why has the devil filled your heart? You remember the account. They died there on the spot and were told fear came upon the whole congregation. According to Acts 5 verse 3, they lied to the Holy Spirit and therefore they lied to God himself. And when we break this command, beloved, we are sinning against our God who is true. When we, when we lie in great ways or when we lie in small ways, it's an offense to the God who is true and who calls us to imitate his truth-telling nature. And like all other sins, beloved, this sin as well is able to bring a person down to hell. Proverbs 5, verse 6, you destroy all those who speak lies. Again, Psalm 15, verse 2 and 3, who can dwell on God's holy hill? Only those who speak the truth with their heart and who do not slander with their tongue. Beloved, all of us, both children and adults, we fall short of this command. We have all told lies. We've all concealed the truth. We've all been silent about the truth when God has been pressing us to speak about something. And one day, beloved, every lie will be exposed. Every secret sin that we bring in this world will be brought to light before the face of Almighty God who is faithful and who's true. Nothing is going to be hidden in the end. And so where is our hope found 
when we are also found to be people who fall short. We consider thirdly tonight, beloved, the obedience of our beloved Savior to this command, the obedience of Jesus. Our Lord came in human flesh, and John 1.14 says, Jesus was full of grace and truth. In this world of lies and debated philosophies, Jesus came as the very embodiment of truth and of grace. And this is so important. Jesus, when he was on earth, he spoke the truth about our miserable situation. He told us that we are sinners who need salvation, and it's only found in him. As we heard this morning, Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus exposed men and women, and he showed them the truth about themselves and their utter spiritual poverty apart from him. You think of the woman at the well or the religious leader Nicodemus. Jesus exposed the truth about both of their situations and how much they needed him for spiritual life and for forgiveness. Jesus' message on this earth was not always well-received. Just like today, beloved, there were people who preferred to live in their comfortable lives than to come to Jesus and his truth. Even some religious leaders who could quote the ninth commandment and all ten of them twisted the very words of Jesus and twisted his intentions. They said, this man wants to destroy the temple. And of course, they twisted his words as they pulled them out of context because Jesus was speaking about his body being broken and raised again. But Jesus told the truth about the false philosophies of his day, the empty religion, and he told the truth about our situation. And some repented of their sin and trusted in Jesus, and some hated Jesus without a cause. And ultimately, some crucified the Lord of glory, the Lord of truth. Think about that. Leading up to the very cross of his crucifixion, Jesus was falsely accused. There was false witnesses that conspired against the Lord of truth. He was beaten unjustly. And he said in John 18, if what I said is wrong, bear witness to the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? But Jesus would go all the way to the cross. And even there, beloved, when he was hanging on the cross for our sins, he was being mocked and he was being slandered by the words of wicked men. But in response, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Luke 23, 34. That is the love of God for liars and for sinners like you and me. That is the grace and mercy of God embodied in Jesus as his body is being broken at Calvary when all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, All of our lies, all of our slandering, all of our gossip, all of our backbiting, all of our unjust silence, all of it laid upon the shoulders of the sinless one, the one who is the truth. Jesus died, beloved, to take away all of that sin from his people and in exchange to cover us in his holy righteousness that we might be made forever right with God, not damned to hell, but brought into the very righteous courts of heaven. For those who receive Jesus and believe in his name, Jesus says in John 8, 32, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. 
Now, beloved, God calls us as those who have received Jesus as the truth, his word and what he has done for us to go and to be his faithful witnesses here on this earth. And so as our fourth point highlights, what is the outcome of this command for our lives? Well, when Jesus saves a person, he makes them new and the Holy Spirit is writing the law of God on the heart of every Christian, including the ninth commandment. So what does it look like to be renewed in this truth? Well, first, again, we admit the truth about how much we need God. Again, Philip Ryken puts it this way in his commentary. If there is one thing that God hates, it's the lies that Christians tell to make themselves look more righteous than they really are. We don't have to come to church pretending that we're better than we are, beloved, We don't have to hide our sins, but we are to admit the truth about ourselves and our miserable situation, confess our sins, confess the sins of our past, admit weakness before God and before others. In salvation, it begins by agreeing with God's assessment of us that our sin is great, but we trust in a Savior whose mercy is even greater than our sin. Second, beloved, the Spirit helps us to tell the whole truth because we love Christ. Jesus said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice, John 18, 37. In this love for Jesus and speaking the truth, you can think about various settings where it applies, telling the whole truth. Right, A pastor is to tell the whole truth by speaking the whole counsel of God's word. Right From Genesis to Revelation to bring the full weight of God's word and to hit all the notes, not just the notes that make us feel comfortable, but to talk about heaven and hell, sin and salvation, law and gospel, all of it, all of the things that expose us even, that make us even as pastors sometimes to feel uncomfortable. God says, tell the truth, all the truth, because you're an ambassador for me. In your own life, in business, God tells you to deal honestly with other people in your work. Don't swindle them or take advantage of them, but be people of truth in that sphere of life. Online, when we're sharing things and reading articles and sharing stories, we're to be people of truth. You know, we live in a day of lazy thinkers, even lazy readers, people who just maybe read the headline of something up and click share, right? But God calls us to be people concerned with truth. Is this true? Is this right? And we're to do our homework, to be people who are, who are concerned with sharing that which is accurate and true. Another way that this applies to us, this command, as the Heidelberg Catechism says, is the Spirit help us, helps us to openly acknowledge the truth. And first we can think about that in the positive sense. We celebrate the truth wherever we see it. Because we recognize, in the words of R.C. Sproul, all truth is God's truth. When you see something true in a song or in a movie or in a work of art, you could celebrate God's truth where it shows up. You know, if you're off at college and you're studying anatomy or astronomy or physiology and you're learning various truths about the body or about the universe that God made, wherever you see truth, you celebrate it because you recognize it flows from your God who is true. All truth is God's truth. But because we live in a fallen world, we're also to call out the lies where we see those as well. And we live in a day of relativism where people say, hey, what's true for you, it's true for you, but what's true for me is true for me. The famous atheist philosopher Frederick Nietzsche once said, what then is truth? 
He said, canonical truths are illusions, which we have forgotten are illusions. In other words, absolute truth, it's not a real thing. We just think it is because we forgot that truth is really just an illusion at the end of the day. That's how many people think about truth, beloved. Moreover, many people say truth, it's socially constructed. It's what people as a culture simply agree is true. Or truth is simply what you feel on the inside. It's not an objective reality outside of you. It's something that flows from within. This postmodern concept of truth is summarized by uh, scholar Richard Rorty when he says, in this view, truth is made, not found. Truth is made, not found. In other words, live your truth then. Create your own reality. And we see that, beloved, sadly today, how people can be carried away by all sorts of different systems of thought that misconstrue truth. Our hearts, beloved, this side of heaven, are not always faithful guides of what is true about us or about this world. And so as Christians, we are to remind one another and our neighbor that the truth is found outside of us in God, the one who made us. And we're to share this truth with love and compassion. And this takes so much wisdom in the days that we're living in, doesn't it? So much wisdom. Consider just a few scenarios that you could talk about on your way home. right? If you're witnessing to a person who is transgender, do you use their preferred pronouns in order to meet them with the gospel right where they're at? Or do you bear witness to the objective truth of how God made that person? Here's another scenario. If you're working at a grocery store and you're asked by your boss to wear a rainbow shirt for Pride Month, do you wear it to honor your employer? Or do you lovingly decline so that you can bear witness to the truth about what God says about sexuality? See, we live in a day where we have to think through many of these complex questions and how we apply these things to our day-to-day lives. And we need God's Spirit to lead us and to guide us in our words in those situations as we stand before others in this world as people of truth. But here's a final point, beloved, that we must take to heart. We must. The Spirit finally helps us to speak the truth in love. Right? It's famously said today, facts don't care about your feelings. But God cares about how we speak the truth. You can actually sin against the truth when you don't speak the truth in the right way. Westminster Larger Catechism 145 talks about speaking the truth unseasonably. Or maliciously. This is what Paul reminds us of, beloved, in 1 Corinthians 13, 2. If I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Without love, we're actually bearing false witness to the truth, because God's truth is also good and beautiful. And so, beloved, hear God's law today when he says to us, you shall not bear false witness. Instead, he calls us to be lovers of truth and lovers of our neighbor as we speak the truth in love. May we stand for truth in this world of lies, and may we also reflect upon our own lives and the particular lives that we might be prone to entertain that make us comfortable with our own sin. May we be ready to receive and bear witness to all of God's truth, as we point men and women to Jesus Christ, the one who sets us free by his word and by his gospel.
Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, our Heavenly Father, you alone are faithful and true. You're trustworthy in all of your words. You're faithful to all of your promises. Thank you, Lord, that you don't lie to us, but that you keep your word, and that we could take to heart your word, knowing that it flows from the God whose heart is full of truth. Help us, O Lord, as your redeemed people, to be people of truth. Help us to receive all of what your word says, even the parts that make us feel uncomfortable. And grant us your Holy Spirit to be faithful witnesses in this world of your truth, to speak the truth with our neighbor in love and in compassion as followers of Jesus Christ. For again, O Lord, we confess he alone is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we pray this in his precious name. Amen. Beloved, we'll have a moment um, of questions in just a moment, but receive by faith God's blessing, who empowers us by his spirit in the things that he calls us to, even in this command. And so receive by faith his blessing. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.